KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Jay, I heard you and Brian debating about daylight saving time on Monday when I wasn't here. Did you know that now the date the time change might actually be going away? It's amazing. You can't get the U.S. Senate to be unanimous on a whole lot of different issues, yet True. somehow they went 100 and 0. I'm not sure what the big difference will be initially. Maybe we're just going to have one more extra hour of sunlight on Christmas now, I guess. it's. But, but the thing is, it's not extra anything. It's just sort of shifted. So, like, just means, like, the sun is going to rise a bit later in the winter, which is unfortunate because I can't wake my body up until the sun is up. But... And this is important to note that uh, this still needs to pass Congress, but there's generally bipartisan support, so feels like it could happen. Still amazing that this is the thing that they can (laughs) all come together on. There's so many other issues, but this, go figure. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. And we've seen more of the destruction in Ukraine than probably any other war or conflict in history because of social media. And we'll discuss the benefits and the downsides of what that means with a pair of our members of our digital team, Christina Lukakopiser and Sarah Smith. They'll be joining us a little bit later on. And this morning, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky spoke to Congress on a live stream, and he was pleading for more help to try to do something out there in Ukraine. I'm Stacey Lynn on Capitol Hill, where lawmakers greeted Ukrainian President Zelensky with a standing ovation. Russia has turned the Ukrainian sky into a source of death. He made an emotional appeal to the American people. Remember September the 11th, when evil tried to turn your cities in battlefield. Innocent people were attacked. He pleaded for a no-fly zone and warplanes to help in their fight. He played a very graphic video showing the destruction, devastation, and death caused by the Russians. At the end of the video, lawmakers were silent. Uh, Stacy Lynn from CBS News kind of recapping that. Now, this is the third week. It was three weeks ago, which it feels way longer than this. We've seen so much in just 21 days of this. Now, President Zelensky is basically pleading for help from the United States. That, that At one point, he called the United States the most powerful country on Earth. This is, sounds like he would really like us to get in there and do something. The language being used around this, that he's begging, pleading, just... It really emphasizes how dire of a situation they are in and how important this is. And I understand that it is a tough decision about, you know, things like the no-fly zone, sending weapons over and whatnot, because we don't want to provoke Russia more into making this nuclear World War III, but we have to—they need help. Ukraine needs help. It's the idea of— you don't want to enter into a World War III. You don't want to have a Vietnam situation. It could be another thing where that they always have the echoes of the endless wars that have occurred. And now this and one. And we've gotten involved in, in, you know, Afghanistan and other places before where lots of people debate whether or not we should have. So I, you know, I'm not the one. I'm glad I'm not the one making this decision. But I always come back to what if I had been born in Ukraine? Can you imagine what those people are going through right it's now? It's frightening. At this point, three weeks ago. It was, I mean, yeah, it was tense, but they were still living a normal existence. And now everything they know has largely been just assaulted by this country that is just seemingly hell-bent on just taking it over and shoving their way of life back into their lives. It's, it's pretty frightening. But we've also got good news for drivers here in the city of Philadelphia as the Chestnut Street Bridge is finally going to reopen this weekend. 
I'm so happy about this because, Jay, it has been blocking our beautiful view of the Schuylkill here in the office. I go to the window and look out just to, like, get a little reprieve from my day. And there's this construction right in front of us. So that is going to be going away. As much as anyone can say the, the Schuylkill is beautiful, you know, it's, there, it is a nice view. Yeah, you'll look a little bit down the river and there's a, just a giant crane just hanging out and this bridge has been chopped up and it's finally set to reopen and finally get a little bit more movement, a little bit more moving around happening. So that's right. always a good thing. It'll also, they've created larger sidewalks and added a parking protected bicycle lane. I'm interested to see what exactly that means, but adding more bike lanes and more space for pedestrians, I'm always a fan of. More bike lanes, more room for pedestrians, and just another open road around here for drivers like those of us, the, the Neanderthals like me who still drive a car and might <laughs> occasionally want to get another route. To Don't get know a, how you do it in the city, Jay. I, I, you know, I, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do out here. And in a minute, we'll get into a very intriguing conversation with Luca, Christina Coppicer, along with Sarah Smith, two of the women behind our digital here at KYW News Radio to talk about social media in this invasion of Ukraine by Russia. They have a lot of thoughts on this, and of course we'll be excited to hear them. We'll have that coming up in a minute. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. And we've seen just stunning images online from this invasion of Ukraine. Today now marks three weeks since Russia invaded Ukraine, by the way. And social media has played a huge part in getting information out about what's really happening there. But there is the emphasis on the word really, because how do we know what information is actually legit, what's actually accurate? Well, we're joined by our digital team today, as they've certainly got some thoughts on this. In studio, we've got our digital managing editor, Christina Luca Coppicer. Christina, Luca, good to have you once again. Thank you. Thank you. I'm back so soon. We are also joined by our digital engagement editor, Sarah Smith. No relation. Sarah, Hello. how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you. It's great to see you. So both of you are pretty much on social media all the time. What have you noticed about the way that everyday people have been getting information on what's happening on the ground in Ukraine right now? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of normal people, one thing is it's the year's 2022. Everybody has a camera, a recording device on them all the time. So I think that People have, you know, who are on the ground can share images directly, immediately um, in terms of what they're seeing, especially whether, you know, it's a journalist, just a regular citizen, politicians, people who are in the military, um, everyone who's there has the ability to do it. So I think that that access is the most technologically advanced as it's been. And this isn't the first social media war that we've seen, but it is the one that is happening right now. And I think that is a huge contributing factor to why there's so much being shared. Right, because like 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 you said, everyone has a camera on them in their pocket at all times. So you're seeing widespread, you know, not just whatever a, a journalist can get to. You're seeing everywhere, which is so much information. Yes. It's like a fire hose, honestly. I mean, it's especially, you know, we're in now week 3 of this like you said, Jay, and it's been constant since the very beginning. I remember one of the first images I saw was of a Russian soldier soldier that was dead next to a tank. And that was on the very first day. Uh, And then it's been just chaos ever since, really. So it's interesting the kinds of people that or the kinds of sources that people go to for their news. Sarah, I know you brought up some kind of high profile accounts of people who live in Ukraine 
in Ukraine. Um, like someone from Dancing with the Stars, I think, has yeah. has been showing yeah, a lot yeah. of this. So, yeah, one of the pros from Dancing with the Stars in America, you know, Maxim Chmiakovsky, if you're a fan, they call him Max. Um, he's been on Dancing with the Stars for years. His brother's also on Dancing with the Stars, and they're from Ukraine, and he was in Ukraine when this all started and document, he wasn't really big on social media, honestly, before this, but he started documenting what he was going through. And I think it really caught him by surprise how bad it was. And he ended up really kind of having a hard time getting out. And he documented that entire travel, you know, his way out of there and his, what he saw on his journey. And, you know, Sean Penn was also in the area and documented having to walk to Poland. I mean, it's, you know, these are people that Americans follow on social media. They're not journalists, but they're people with huge platforms that they can get the word out and show their, what they're seeing and kind of be a source that you can trust because you know them in a way. Yeah, I think that's reaching a lot of people who wouldn't normally seek out news outlets, you know, so everyone really knows about this. Yeah, definitely. The Ukrainian government has even been involved in a lot of this. President Volodymyr Zelensky, he's very active on Twitter. I know you guys have seen what he's been posting out there. What else have you noticed from these high-profile individuals who've been hopping right on the Bird app and getting as much information out there as they can about this? One thing that's interesting about Zelensky is that he himself was a comedian before he became a politician. So he also had this huge, like, sort of cultural following. And now he's, I mean, he's a household name at this point. So he's very smart about the way that he uses social. Sarah, I think you were going to point out that he, you know, tweets in different languages. He tweets in English. Yeah, I mean, he's like documenting his day. I mean, just think about even the first day, the first night he was posting on his Twitter from the streets. And I think people expected him to be in a bunker somewhere and he wasn't, he was out there walking in the streets. So I'm sure that they have to be strategic about timing of these posts so that he's not tracked down um, because I'm sure he is a major target um, in this war. But, you know, it's interesting to me to see how he's kind of telling his story on social, but also getting the word out in multiple languages and tagging official accounts, talking about when he's spoken to this prime minister or this leader or the president of the United States and, you know, what they've said and how that's gone. And that's super interesting to me. Following just his Twitter stream is is super interesting. Yeah. So you've got these official accounts and then you've got just the rest of the world, you know, influencers. But it's interesting to me that, first of all, that social media influencers are interested in this. I think that's a good sign that, like, the youth cares about what's going on in the world. Second, it's to the point where the White House is seeking out TikTok influencers. Luca, you you sent me something about that they had a briefing with some influencers to make sure that they are putting out accurate information. What do we think of this? Is is this a good idea? I do think it's a good idea in that it's reaching out to a generation that the White House typically doesn't have access to. Like, I don't think that teenagers and young college-age students are necessarily super politically involved. Maybe as you get older, you do. But, like, I don't think 16-year-olds, they can't vote. Like, they're not out here caring too much about what the president is doing. So I think that it's actually really smart to tap into that, the Gen Z 
through the people that they trust. Um, so, yeah, I think and it's actually not the first time they've done this. They did this with vaccinations, too. So they, they're on top of access to a generation that they might want to tap in future for voting. You know, I think I think just generally speaking, like finding ways to reach young people is not done enough. And this is a really smart tactic. But then also with TikTok in particular, it's run by by dance, which is a Chinese company. And we know that right now China is not saying anything. They're trying to stay as neutral as humanly possible. So I think it's also interesting that they are specifically targeting TikTok in, like influencers to get correct information out on that app that is not being policed as heavily as some of the other ones are because of its ownership. So I, I do think it's actually a very, very smart tactic. And I think it's and I think it's cool for the influencers to feel heard and seen by not just like teenage kids, but by the government of our country. So I think it's actually a really good partnership. And it seemed like they felt more confident coming out of it that they could provide accurate information. And it's funny, too, because like, I mean, this was such an unprecedented thing. Like it was the cold open on SNL. Like they made fun of it. But, you know, that just goes to show you how much cultural reach it has. Now, look, you referenced it. We just dealt with this with COVID and vaccines. I mean, pandemic's not over, but in the heat of it, there was a lot of misinformation and intentional disinformation. I don't think that word gets used enough. There was a lot of disinformation intentionally being thrown out there by people about vaccines. And there's also a contingent, not just out of Russia, but some people in this country who are intent on doing the exact same thing with Ukraine. How rampant do you think this is? And what is even being done to kind of police that on that end, too? Um, I think if I had the answer to that question, I would not be working here. I'd be somewhere else. <laughs> but I, I, w- I mean, the thing is, I think it's rampant enough that we notice it. So that that at all, I think is bad. Um, but there's no way to quantify it because it's happening so quickly. It's happening. I mean, we're talking like millions of of views, of engagement that like it's impossible to quantify because the other thing about this is you have bots, you have these like meme accounts that are cropping up that, and again, aggregating meme accounts are not new, but what's new is that they're be, being used to spread misinformation specifically about war. Um, Sabrina, I sent you an article. Also, again, most of my references today are going to be from Taylor Lorenz, who is now at the Washington Post. Uh, huge fangirl. She has like carved out such an amazing beat in covering the way information spreads, how young people are using apps and all sorts of stuff. But she wrote but when she was between The New York Times and uh, Washington Post, she wrote this article for Input Mag about these war themed meme accounts that are not verified. They don't have a blue check, but they have hundreds of thousands of followers, which that gives you a false sense of security. If you're like, well, if all these people are following it, then this must be legit, which is not true. So oh, that was just like horrifying. It's, as it's I was scary. reading this. I was just like, oh, my God, these people are claiming that they're trying to help and trying to just get the information out to as many people as possible. But it seems like their actual emphasis is on just gaining followers. And then they're including ads for like OnlyFans accounts, mm-hmm. which kind of goes into, you know, what do influencers stand to gain from posting fake information you know if they're if they're not like on russia's side and trying to push russia's agenda what is the the benefit to them is it just like popularity and followers is it making money in some ways i think it's all of the above and i because the thing is like it's not a very sophisticated thing like i think it's in this case it's kind of like occam's razor it's like the simplest answer is probably the the right one which is that you can monetize if you have a lot of followers you can the more Things that seem wild and interesting, whether or not they're real, you're going to get more followers. So like, you know, there was this one particular instance, this was a TikTok video that was going around of like a, quote, paratrooper 
that was in Ukraine, but it was a video from 2016 and it was very quickly debunked. You can do reverse image searching on this, see that it's an old video. And it was it had millions of views on TikTok, millions. And it took forever to get taken down. And by that time, it's already out there like the virus spread. You know, it makes me think of the phrase that a lie makes it around the world before the truth gets its shoes on. But with social media, it's made it around the world three times. Exactly. It's so easy to debunk. I'll see it occasionally on my Instagram feed. I'll, I'll see something float down there claiming this was this is what they're not telling you. And here's a picture from and I'm looking at the picture. I'm like, bro. That picture very clearly is not from the last three weeks. But so it's a like, lot are, of people, people don't, don't look that hard, you know, yeah. especially, I hate to say it, but the, kind of the older generation, mm-hmm. I can imagine my parents or uh, other older people in my family not thinking that hard about it. I think there's a what's missing from just the way that people use the Internet is a lot of healthy skepticism. Like, it just doesn't exist. And I think, like, we're all journalists, right? Like, we live in the world of of questioning and curiosity and skepticism and making sure that you things are right and accurate but that's we're unique in that way there aren't a lot of people who naturally think that way and to your point about what they stand to gain one thing that i think is people don't realize is that when you have an account that has hundreds of thousands sometimes more millions of followers you can change the 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 course of what it is and then start monetizing it you can sell the account to someone else and say hey i have 500,000 followers do you want to buy this from me and tra- like all of that stuff think ha- of that. exactly so they can make a lot of money just through the simple act of having a lot of followers on the other end of the spectrum the russians are basically banning all the social media they can find they're cracking down on it because they're trying to control their narrative run as much propaganda out there about the war that they didn't like that a lot of these social media apps have been not running with the company line, so to speak. How many Russian citizens, what kind of access do they even have to any forms of social media? I think that, um, you know, you'll find the younger generation, again, is more savvy to this kind of thing. Um, they'll find ways to, um, you know, get a VPN outside of Russia, they'll, you know, change their IP address so that they can get the information that they want. They'll use WhatsApp, some other kind of messaging software so that it's direct to them. Um, So I think that the younger generation is definitely getting more access, but then that's not the whole population. I mean, you have this, uh, so many people that, you know, they're seeing reports that what the Russian government wants you to see on their televisions. They're seeing only what Russian, you know, um, government wants you to see on social media. They're not searching out the truth. They just take it at face value. And that's, you know, it's almost the same problem that we're having here in taking what we see that's fake as face value. They're taking what they're seeing as fake. That's fake as face value. And it's a huge problem. Hopefully, some of the truth is getting through. Given all of this, what do you think are the benefits of social media? And do they does that outweigh the risks here? The battle for information, both in this war and in this country, is very much in the forefront here. Does all the, the is the juice worth the proverbial squeeze on some of this? I say yes. I think so too. I think that, you know, because there are journalists too, like Taylor Lorenz, like some others who are who are making it their mission to inform people that this is A, happening, and B, how to look out for it um, is very important. I think it's a brand new beat that's been developed in the last, what, like five, six years even. 
Yeah, and I think in terms of access to, like we said, everybody has a camera. I think that there are Ukrainians who are there. I mean, again, just civilians who are just trying to survive and get out. Like they they now have a platform that they might not have had before. Whereas like it would be distilled through journalism, it still is being distilled through journalism. And I think there, are, you know, in terms of where to find accurate stuff, there are great Twitter lists that have been put together by journalists of people who are there and on the ground that you can follow. Daniel Dale, who's from the C, I was going to plug his list. I've been following religiously. CNN reporter. Great, great at verification, great at, you know, telling truth from lies. Um, His list is fantastic. You can find it on his Twitter account. But I think it gives people the ability to show what's happening and like just directly from the source. And again, you have to be smart about how to look for it and how to distill it, how to see is this really happening where they're saying it's happening. But I think that that there are also people who it's their job to do this. So like, you know, New York Times has a social verification team. A lot of large news orgs literally employ groups of people who just sit there and verify whether or not things happen where they said they happen. But, you know, I mean, those news organizations wouldn't have that content if it wasn't for social media. Exactly. So even if you're just following news accounts and you're just watching news, a lot of the content you're seeing from them is coming from those individuals out in it. Yeah, who are posting to their own social media, and then the teams are grabbing that. So, the benefit of of being able to, you know, geofence and find actual things and find stories that we would never have seen. I mean, maybe we never would have seen the pregnant woman on the stretcher who has now passed away. I mean, that's going to be, you know, an award winning photo. That's just really shows what was happening and how civilians are being attacked. You know, and here we are. And would we have had that photo? I don't know. Is that if it wasn't an AP photo, was it an AP photographer? Or did they buy it from someone who happened to be on the ground? I'm not sure. But, you know, that content that you're seeing may not have even existed if it wasn't for social media. And I guess that's that's why I think that it's so important and why it's playing such a beneficial role in this in this war. Now, we also have an episode of KWW in depth about how social media is being used in this war. It's titled Live Streamed War Crimes. That <laughs> jumps off at you. Live Streamed War Crimes. Check that out, of course, here on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Luca, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Happy to be Anytime you guys want me to distill the wild west of the internet, I am, <laughs> I am down. So Thank you so much once again. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. And that's it for today. Tomorrow, we're going to catch up with Mike DiNardo, who's had a busy week getting to know the three finalists to see who becomes the next superintendent of the Philadelphia School District. In the meantime, have a great Wednesday. Get over that hump, and we'll see you on Thursday.